Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. I want to talk this morning about things that make us uncomfortable, okay? You might be a guest, maybe it's your first time here at Compass, and like I, I'm glad you came because coming to a church for the first time can be really uncomfortable. But there's these other universal things that I think we all kind of go through that can make us feel really weird or really uncomfortable. Now, when I was a kid, and those of you guys, maybe this experience, happened to you this experience when you were kids you ever go to a friend's house and you're hanging out and you're playing you're playing because that's what you do when you're kids and then all of a sudden they get into a fight with their parents that happened to anybody and like all of a sudden mom's yelling at them over something and then it's like mom shut up you're being stupid it's like i'm gonna slap that off your face if you don't mom leave me alone you're being dumb and like that happened to me when i was a kid a couple times and i just wanted to curl into a ball and hide under the table or maybe maybe it didn't happen when you were kids Maybe you have a married couple that you're friends with and like you go over and hang out to their house and they kind of get into those things and they start to go back and forth with a little fight. And the most, the most uncomfortable is when they're like, I told you to do the dishes. It's like, you didn't tell me to do the dishes. How unbelievable. Can you believe this? Chris, what do you think? It's like, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Do not put me in this. Okay, there's just some other like weird things that make us just uncomfortable in life. Uh, how about this? Seeing your teacher in a public place outside of school, right? Even as an adult, if I saw my kindergarten teacher at Walmart, I would be like, ugh, weird. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, when I was a kid, if I saw my teacher at the mall or something, seriously, I would hide behind the shirts. And I would like, I would go around the shirt rack to just try and like avoid having to make eye contact with my teacher. Because, I mean, they just shouldn't exist outside of school, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know there's teachers in here. One, we had a teacher who was in here first service. And I was like, it's got to be so much weirder for you because you're a teacher everywhere you go, right? I'm not a student everywhere I go. Like something else super uncomfortable is like walking through Walmart or Sam's and you see that person from Xfinity with a clipboard and they're just looking around waiting for someone to make eye contact with them. I will walk all the way around the store to avoid walking by someone with a clipboard who just wants to connect with me. Okay, how about this? This is, this is one, maybe you haven't thought of this one yourself, but like, I want you to stop and imagine this, okay? Imagine yourself biting down on a fork or a spoon. Just imagine it for a second. Anybody's that eh, Gross. Yeah, my, okay, this is my, my wife's thing. This is just, I'll tell on her for a little bit. Like, she cannot handle seeing anyone eat off of a wooden spoon. Like, like she, she's gagged right there, right? <laughs> so I just, I love, like, stirring stuff up with a wooden spoon and then just slowly licking soup off the spoon. <laughs> she hates it. Grosses her out. Um, this, this one, I, this one is straight up universal, and I know this. Like, it, you don't have to laugh because you don't want to embarrass yourself, but you're in public, and you're in a public bathroom, and you sit down on a toilet seat, and it's warm. Yeah, yeah, that's super uncomfortable. I don't think, I don't know if it gets any worse than that. That's the worst. Now, this is one, like, watching a music video with no music is very uncomfortable. Now, if you haven't experienced that, I'm going to help you experience it right now. So go ahead, guys. I got the horses in the back. Betty's Maddie Black got the boosters black to match. Riding on. <laughs> hmm. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't 
tell me nothing. Oh, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna. Head down, cross down, living like a rock star. God knows, stress I've been through all that. I'm like a mild born man, so I keep coming back. Wish I could. Yes. Down the road, I wanna ride till I can't no more. It's just weird, right? It's just off. It just feels wrong, right? The music, music video about the music, it just feels off. And there are things in our lives that feel off and weird when they are missing and they can make us feel uncomfortable. And there are things in our spiritual lives that when they're off, they can feel weird and uncomfortable as well. We're in a message series called If, and we started it several weeks ago. And we're really looking at this passage of Scripture that is an if-then promise that God makes to us. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is what it says. God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. And so we are working through this passage, this if-then statement that God makes. And really at the root of it is this reality that there are things that if we do them, then God will do something in return, in, in response, really, to what we do. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about something that if it is missing from the life of a follower of Jesus, it just makes everything weird. It makes everything off. It makes everything uncomfortable. And that thing is this, prayer. When prayer is missing from the life of a follower of Jesus, it is like a music video without the music. Things are just off. Because prayer is crucial to the life of a follower of Jesus. It's as crucial to the life of a Christian as, you know, water is to a fish, as oxygen is to us, or as caffeine, caffeine is to a college student, okay? Prayer is crucial to the life of a follower of Jesus. But if that's true, that raises this question. Why don't we do it? Why don't we pray, you know? As just, and let's just be honest. As a follower of Jesus, just, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one in this room. But I have at times in my life struggled to pray at times in my life for different reasons. And there's a couple reasons why. I think the first one is this, is that we don't pray because we didn't pray. And so I didn't pray yesterday. I got busy and I forgot. And now it's today and I didn't pray yesterday and I kind of feel bad about it. And so it's like, uh... I don't know. And because of my feel bad and I feel guilty or ashamed I didn't pray, I don't pray today. And then it's been two days. And then by the time it's been a week, it's like, you know, five years later, it's like, well, I didn't pray today because I, five years ago I didn't. It's kind of like when you, you meet somebody and then you forget their name. And then rather than like the first time you see them just saying, hey, I'm so sorry, I forgot your name. Can you tell me who it is? You're like, oh, hey, what's up, bro? And then literally like, like five years later, you're the best man in their wedding. And you're just like, you know what, I just want to like... Thank God for, for my dude over here. He's just, and you know, I'm so glad he found my sis right there. And like, they're going to be the best couple ever. You just got to fake your way through it. And I think prayer can be like that. It's like, I didn't pray. And because I didn't pray, I just, I just kind of don't anymore. Because I just feel bad. We feel bad when we mess something up or when we get something wrong. We just tend to want to avoid it, right? And, and sometimes we don't pray because we didn't pray. 
I think another reason we don't pray is that we don't know how. And we're just afraid of sounding dumb, right? Anybody just, when it comes time to pray, you just like, I know I'm going to need to do this and I want to do this. And it's like, God, oh, sweet heavenly father up in the clouds, descending. And I, I don't know. It's like you hear people pray and it sounds so fancy. And like maybe, you know, you hear Kevin pray at the end. Of, well, probably not Kevin. But you hear Jane pray at the end of worship. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. It's like a poet came down and impromptu wrote a prayer. And you're just like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to leave prayer to the people who wrap up our worship services, right? And so we don't pray sometimes because we don't know how. And we think maybe that's just not my thing. Maybe that's their thing. I think another reason that we don't pray is that deep down, maybe we don't tell anybody this, but deep down, maybe we'd never say this, but deep down, we just don't really think prayer really works. And I think this one displays itself less in what we say, because if someone asked us, like, man, do you believe in prayer? Would you pray for me? Absolutely, I'll pray for you. And yeah, man, I believe in prayer. Yeah, let's touch heaven together and pray. But I think the fact that we don't pray actually betrays what we really believe sometimes about prayer. And that's this. It's that when I'm having financial problems, my first response is to run to Dave Ramsey. And it's not to run to God in prayer. You know what I mean? Or when I'm, when I'm sick or when we're going through something, my first response is to Google like WebMD and find out everything that I possibly can instead of running to God and say, God, help me with this. Because deep down, you know, some of us struggle to believe that prayer is actually a thing that works. Whatever it is, whatever the reason that we don't pray, or maybe for you that you struggle with praying or getting it into your schedule, I think that it all comes down to an understanding of what prayer really is, and maybe a misunderstanding or lack of understanding of prayer and its role in our lives, and how God uses it to change us and transform it, and how it really works in our lives. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of scripture to talk about prayer, because God said this, if my people will pray... I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. If my people will pray, I will make them free. I will let them live free lives in freedom and I will heal their land. I will heal their relationships. I will heal their homes. And that's God's promise to us. And so today I want to understand what prayer means. And we're going to look at a passage out of the book of James in the New Testament. Now, I love the book of James. Uh, basically, the book of James was written by a guy named James, and James was Jesus's younger brother, literal younger brother. And like, what's cool to me about reading James, anything that he writes is this, is that like, if you can convince your younger siblings to believe that you are the son of God or that you are the Messiah, then like, I feel like there's something to that. If your sibling's like, okay, I'm in on this. And so James believed in Jesus. He followed Jesus. And, and he writes this letter to the church in the New Testament in Jerusalem to give them instruction on how to live a Christian life. Another reason I like the book of James is this, is that James is the oldest chronological book in the New Testament. So when you're reading the New Testament, if you are reading it based on what the first thing written was, it's this letter that James wrote. I think that is very cool. And James talks to us and he talks to the first century church about what prayer is and how it should function in the life of a follower of Jesus and what God's heart is for it. And he says this in James chapter 5. He starts off by saying, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. And are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So the beginning of this passage, James lays out a truth about prayer that I think is one of the most important things that we need to know and understand about it. And that is this, that prayer is for every situation. Prayers for every situation in life. Now, I think it's easy for us when we think about prayer to know that prayer is good for those hard times. And we know how to pray. Like, when is our default time to pray? We pray when things are messed up. 
I get that report from the doctor. It's like, I'm starting to pray. You know, my bank account is empty and my car broke down and I, I need a miracle. It's like, I'm going to pray because things are messed up. My marriage is, is off the rails. My kids are going off the rails right now. And in those moments in our lives, those times of suffering or hardships, I think we know we run to prayer. You don't even have to be a Jesus person or a Bible person or a Christian or follower of Jesus. I mean, most people, like you could literally be like the son of the devil. And there's probably a time where you're like, things are going bad. God, maybe, you know, I think, I think that we know that when things are terrible, we should just throw up a prayer. We're, we're kind of wired to do that. But I think that because of that, we don't also understand this reality and this truth that prayer might be for other times and other situations in our lives. What about when we're happy? What about when everything's going great? You know, what if, what about the time I just put a ring on her finger and she said yes because I went to Jared? You know what I'm saying? What about, what about when I got that promotion and that job and everything's, everything's clicking and my kids are doing great and my life is doing great and everything's just great? What about those times? Where is the role of prayer then? I think that one of the reasons, or at least tied into the reasons that we don't pray, is that we think prayer is supposed to look like, like this. I think for us, this is the face of prayer. Go ahead and bring that up, guys. And I, I think, and I think that for, for, there's some of us who are not like super emotional people or like, like showing our emotions. It's like, like, what, you want me to cry and be sad in front of you? I'm not going to do that. And so because of that, it's like prayer's not for me. Bring up this next one. I think prayer can look like this as well for some of us. And if we're not making this face, it's not real prayer. And, and honest, I mean, honestly, God, there's some of us who were raised in church and like, we'll be out eating dinner with you and we'll be like just chatting and laughing, like telling jokes. Oh my gosh, my kids are doing great. And it's how I'm the life of the party. It's like, oh, you want me to pray for dinner? Oh, I'd love to pray for dinner. Okay, guys, come on, let's pray for dinner. Oh God, <laughs> heavenly Lord. <laughs> and it's like, have you ever heard someone pray and it's like, you're talking to them and immediately when they start praying, it's like they need tissues because they're crying instantly. And the thing is, Maybe there's times in our lives where that emotion wells up, but I also think that the reality is, is that some of us have just been wired that that's what prayer is supposed to look like. And it may be that for some of us, that's very comfortable to slip into the tears of prayer. But there's those of us who are like, I'm not doing that. And if that's what prayer is, if that's what prayer looks like, well, then count me out, right? And that, at least that's how I'm kind of wired. But that's why I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says this. He starts out by saying, always be joyful. That includes when you pray, right? And like, this is not a joyful face. Like, always be joyful. And then he says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So he says, never stop praying. Just pray in every circumstance. Pray all the time. But he says, always be joyful and always be thankful. And to me, those are not faces that all the time look like my dog just died. You know what I'm saying? See, prayer is for every situation. Prayer is just not for when we're hurting. Prayer is just not for when we're in need. Prayer is, just, is not just for when we're broken or sad or upset. What's cool, never stop praying. Do you know what never stop praying means? Like when you really dig into it, it means this. Listen, listen close. It means never stop praying. It means that it is possible for us to connect and to communicate with God all the time. There's a, there's a way to have this connection to God that's unbroken. And I think that we, I think we can naturally understand what that means because we all have cell phones and we all have one or two of those people in our lives that there's a text thread that if I went on your phone and looked at it, I'd be like, do you ever do anything but text this person? 
in life, literally? Like, when do you go to the bathroom? For real, like, when do you stop texting this person? So we know what it's like to be connected with someone all the time. And we could have that same type of connection with God that extends beyond those moments of weepy, hurting, you know, prayer. But this just is a constant connection. And Paul knows this and God knows this because he tells us to pray without ceasing, to never stop praying. And what's cool about this, knowing that it's possible to be in this prayerful connection with God all the time. Happy, sad, whatever's happening in our lives. Knowing there's a connection, it means this, it, it redefines what prayer looks like, and it also redefines how we pray, or how we think we're, at least we're supposed to pray, right? Because, I mean, you, you may have heard prayer, like when people like pray, or, or maybe you heard a country song where they talk about, oh, I'm getting down on my knees, you know, something like that. <laughs> That's for Andrew. But like, but there are like, listen, some, there's times when I pray where I get down on my knees because there is, there's something about like changing your posture that, that helps me to like get in a different mindset or to, to come and approach God differently, right? And so like maybe at first Tuesday or maybe in pre-service prayer, you'll see me getting on my knees like this and pray. And sometimes I'll have my hands out like this. And sometimes it will be like this. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm praying and it's real and it's a genuine loving prayer. But when God says, never stop praying, I want you to know something that God knows and that something that God understands. He understands that my knees cannot take this for very long, okay? Like even, ow, even just getting up. God knows this, is that you cannot be on your knees 24-7. That means this, prayer doesn't look like that all the time. Prayer might not look like you, you know, laying out and crying before God. Prayer might look like you, you know, karate kicking your way, like ha, 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 yeah. You know, that prayer might look like that. Prayer might, Becky said this after first service. She said, you know what, we should have a slip and slide up to the prayer teams because prayer can look like that. You know, prayer can look like, it can look like the most excited time of your life. In fact, prayer doesn't have to look like a weepy cry face. Prayer can actually look more like, more like this image right here. Like, why can't, why can't someone do that up to the prayer teams on a Sunday where it's like, yeah. I'm just telling you this. Prayer does not have to be a, what we culturally understand it to be. And in fact, I would say it, it's impossible for it to be that because you can't be down on your knees 24-7 praying to God. You can't pray without ceasing by locking yourself in a dark room. It's impossible. You have to live your life. You have to go to work. You have to go to school. I mean, let's just be honest. You have to go to the bathroom. There are things in life that we can do while maintaining a close connection and communication to God. And that means this, that what we think prayer is and what it looks like, it, doesn't, it isn't necessarily that 24-7. And I'll tell you, for me, that is incredibly freeing. That means this. There's things that I really enjoy doing that are just fun and not spiritual at all but that I can enjoy those things with being connected to my Heavenly Father. That I can sit around and noodle on a guitar in my bedroom, or I can watch a Marvel movie, and I can be like, God, this movie's awesome. Thanks for whoever you put this idea in their head. You know, there are ways to stay connected to our Heavenly Father that do not require us weeping and mourning and beating ourselves up and, you know, and, and going to God begging and, and asking for his mercy all the time because joyful prayer is real prayer. Prayer is for every situation and every circumstance, and I love that. James continues, and he says this. He says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. See, prayer is not just for every situation. Prayer 
changes our situations. Prayer has the power to change our circumstances. And James puts this out. He wants people to know that prayer, when we pray that God moves and God can change our circumstances, it's the reason we have prayer teams up front every Sunday. We don't do it because it's like, well, we're a church. We should probably have people praying. No, we do it because we believe that when you have something going on in your life and you need God to move, that when you come up and have other people pray for you and pray with you, just like James says, that God can change your circumstances. That God can change your situation and that God can change your life. But check this out. It's not just about physical circumstances, you know. It's not just about that. Look what James continues to say. He says, and if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, prayer is not just about changing our physical circumstances or situations. You know, I'm broke or I'm hurting or my relationship is damaged and I need you to move. It's about changing our spiritual circumstances and our spiritual situation as well. James says, pray. Pray for each other and God will forgive you. God will set you free. See, prayer is, prayer is fundamental to us as followers of Jesus walking in freedom. Okay, now what, is, what does that mean? Is that when the moment we became follower, a follower of Jesus, the moment you say yes to him, all of the things you've ever done, all the things you're ever guilty of or ashamed of, that those things are now separated from you and those things are in the past, those things are gone, that you're forgiven. You're not only forgiven of what you did, you're forgiven of what you're doing, and you are forgiven of what you will do in the future in Christ. Okay, so you have freedom the moment you say yes to Jesus. But the truth is this, is that a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, I'm going to screw up again. And even though I'm forgiven, I still feel guilty. And I feel ashamed. And I feel like I'm not good enough because Jesus did this for me and now I've screwed up. And because of those feelings, because we feel those things, sometimes we can forget or lose sight of the fact that God set us free, that he has, he has forgiven us completely. But walking in that freedom can be difficult because the guilt and the shame stick to us. It's like walking through hot tar on a hot summer day on the road in the country. It just sticks to your shoes and it just bubbles and pops and you can't get it off. But prayer, when we pray, man, God just does something. He changes our situation. It, it helps us to walk in that freedom. Prayer helps us to understand our freedom and not just know that it's there, but to walk in it, to walk in the experience of that freedom, to live in that atmosphere of our freedom in Christ. Prayer reminds us of that and helps us to experiencing it. James continues and he says this, that not only is prayer for every situation, not only does prayer change our situations, but he says that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now the key word in there is the word righteous. And when I used to read this, here's, here's how I used to read this passage, here's how I used to understand it. That the, the fervent prayer of a righteous person means that, that if I'm going to have good results in my prayer, then I have to be a better person. That the more righteous I am, the more the more good that I do and the less bad that I do, then my prayer will actually be more effective. And so the, the better a person is, the more effective their prayers are. And I used to feel, and there's probably many people, even you're reading this right now, you're like, well, that seems right to me, right? Is that if, 
If I'm better, then my prayers work better. And I think that's why for many of us, when it comes time to pray for something that's going on in our lives, who do you go to first? You go to the best person you know, right? Your grandma or your your pastor's wife. <laughs> of just you, Who's the best person that I know? Who's the most righteous person that I know? Because if they pray for me, God's going to have to listen. Because the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, and effective. But the third thing that we need to understand about prayer is this, is that prayer confirms who you are and it confirms whose you are. Because the way we think about the word righteous can be really wrong. See, it's not true that our prayer works better the better that we are. Our prayer works not because of what we do. Our prayer works because of who we belong to. Our prayer works because of whose we are. Do you know what righteous means? Righteous means this, that we are right with God. That whatever it was that was separating us from God, our sinfulness, our brokenness, uh, our, our mistakes, whatever you want to call it, that gap, that chasm that existed between us and God that made it impossible for us to be right before him, righteousness means that now we are right with him. And we can't be made right by just doing good things because all of the bad things are still there. And listen, again, you don't have to be a Christian to know that this is true and accurate, right, to talk about righteousness, because, it's, I mean, take the Bible out of the equation. Take what, what the Bible says about God's plan for your life and the things that, that Scripture maybe says is wrong or ways he wants you to live. You've violated your own standards. We've all violated our own standards. Forget Bible standards. The things that I know are right and the things that I know I should do, every single one of us have violated those things, whether those things are Bible things or whether they're just the basic things in my own life that I know are moral, which means this is that because I violated my own standard, that I'm not righteous. But our righteousness is not dependent on what we do because what God did was this. He saw that we could never be made right with God, with him, by just doing good things because we'd already blown it. We'd already wiped those things out. And so God sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin on our behalf. And he did it because he knew we couldn't make ourselves righteous. And so now when I say yes to Jesus, when I say, Jesus, I am in, okay? I, I'm in on this. You lead me. I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I'm, I want to follow you. When the minute you say yes to Jesus and believe in him and put your trust in him, God declares you righteous and you didn't do anything to get it. God did it. It's not based on our work or what we do. It's based on Jesus's work and what God did for us. And here's what's so cool about this. When God declares us righteous, we, we couldn't earn it, but it also means this. We can't lose it. We couldn't earn it by what we did, and we can't lose it by what we do. We are declared righteous before God, and that means we are his. And when we are his, when we are righteous, our prayers are effective. And they're not effective because we earned it by doing really, 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 really good things. Our prayers are effective simply because of this, because we are God's. The God's apostrophe, yes, not like we are God's. Let's cover that, make sure that's good. This is what, I mean, think about the beginning of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, our main passage that we're looking at over these weeks. If what? God says, if my people, if my people will pray, 
If my people will do these things, then I will do this. The whole predicate of all of these things is not based on what we do. It's not based on what we earn. It's based on the fact that simply, I'm God's. I'm his. He's my father. He's mine. And I am his. And when you know that, you know this. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it doesn't even matter. Because I am God's. When I said yes to Jesus, I love that. I love that. Our prayer is for every situation, okay? Not just the bad times, but the good times. And we can connect with God without ceasing at all times. Prayer changes our circumstances and our situations, our physical ones and our spiritual ones. And it helps us to understand and know the freedom that we're walking in in Christ. And prayer, when we pray, it just reminds us. It serves to confirm in our lives that I belong to God. When I pray, I know this, I'm going to my Father in heaven who loves me, who would do anything for me because he wants what's best in my life and I belong to him. If my people will humble themselves and pray in good times, in bad, prayer is a confirmation that we are his. It's a recommitment every time I pray, a recommitment, an acknowledgement, God, I am yours. When Terry and I first got married, a long time ago. In our first year of marriage, it was right after our honeymoon. We had literally just gotten back from it. We went to one of those used, you know, video stores. It was a video store at the time. So like VHSs, DVDs, you know, those things. And we bought a, uh, an NES, a Nintendo NES system. So like the old school Nintendo system. We bought it used and we bought two games. We bought Super Mario Bros. and we bought Dr. Mario. And we took it home and literally, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, for the first year of our marriage, we played Dr. Mario all the time. In fact, I'm gonna, I want you guys to experience this. So go ahead and play that, guys. So every night, we would put in this, this CD that was called Priceless Jazz Sampler, Volume 2, that I bought used at a used CD store. And I'd put that in to a boom box and, uh, and we would just listen to this jazz CD over and over again and we'd play Dr. Mario. We'd play it for hours. Played it all the time and we'd just look at that screen. And as we were playing, I mean, sometimes we would, we'd just laugh and, you know, be stupid. I mean, obviously, I was beating Terry all the time and so I was winning most of the time. So that was, I was maybe laughing a lot, but we were just having fun, goofing off. Sometimes we would play and we would talk about serious things, like about how broke we are, about how maybe our diet needed to consist of more than, you know, homemade french fries and grilled cheese because it's what we could afford. Uh, but but we talk about serious things. And then there were other times we're listening to this song over and over again, and this is, no, this is literally the song that was off of that CD. You know, sometimes we would just talk about nothing, and we would just sit in silence and play Dr. Mario and listen to music. But here's the thing. Dr. Mario and the Priceless Jazz Sampler were this, this context for our relationship, for the very beginning of our married relationship. It was an environment in which our relationship as a married couple grew and it flourished and honest I mean to this day like we still love playing Dr. Mario maybe the game systems have changed but we still love playing Dr. Mario every time one of the songs from the priceless jazz sampler come on I'm like oh I love my wife she walked into first service at that point and she heard that and she's just like oh Dr. Mario because it was this environment this atmosphere in which our our relationship grew and developed and can I tell you 
follower of Jesus, that prayer is jazz music and Dr. Mario to your relationship with God. It's a context, it's an environment that we, that we put ourselves in, that we surround ourselves with, that allow our relationship with God to, to flourish and to thrive. And in the life of a Christian, the life of a follower of Jesus without prayer, it's, it's like a movie without a soundtrack. It's, it's a music video without music in it. It's, it's incomplete. It's off. There's something wrong with it. And, and when I look back at, at the beginning of our marriage, I can't imagine what our marriage would look like without Dr. Mario and jazz music. And that's crazy, but it's true. And I'm telling you, God has an environment and a context of prayer in your life. And I'll just be totally honest, it might be weird because our personalities are different. Our styles are different. Maybe for you, that prayer context is really kind of quiet. And maybe because that's your personality and it's just, you know, it's just these humble moments before God and you're peaceful. And maybe your personality is a little bit bigger. And maybe you're, you're like, God, yeah, mm, mm, mm. God, you're awesome and I love it. And you're just like jumping jacks. You know, that's your, your context and environment for prayer. It could be super weird, and I'm not judging, okay? Because everyone's context for how God wants to relate to you and, and, and how you grow in a relationship with Him is different. That's the beauty of prayer. Your prayer doesn't look like mine. My prayer doesn't look like yours. Your prayer may not include a bunch of tears. Their prayer may be like a box of Kleenex every time. You know what I'm saying? But the fact of the matter is this, is that prayer is for every situation because prayer changes our situations and prayer, it confirms in us that we belong to God and it orients our lives in this environment, in this context where our relationship with him can grow and can thrive and be transformative. It's an every minute, everyday atmosphere of walking hand in hand with our Heavenly Father and with our God who loves us and wants us to know Him because when we know Him, our life is the best that it could ever possibly be. S.D. Gordon, a theologian and writer, he says this. He says, the great people of the earth today are the people who pray. And I don't mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. But I mean those people who take the time to pray. What's so cool about this is that like, it doesn't matter the words you use to pray, to connect with God. It doesn't matter the posture you take to pray and connect with God. It doesn't matter the reason, the thing that drives you to pray. Prayer changes things because if my people will humble themselves and pray, I'll forgive their sins. I'll set them free. I'll let them live a life of complete freedom and I will heal their land. I'll heal their home. I'll heal their relationships. I'll heal their family. I will heal their land. Will you stand with me? I just want to wrap this message up just together, just practicing prayer. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Father, for what you're speaking into our lives today. I thank you, God, that, that sometimes the cultural idea of what our faith is supposed to look like, I thank you, Lord, that even when that doesn't fit who we are, that, Lord, you're telling us that there's something different that you have available for us, that the connecting with you in prayer does not need to look like 
down on our knees being sore, but it can be jumping and celebrating what you are doing in our lives. That it doesn't have to look like tears and mourning and, and begging God, but that prayer can look like, like joy and thanksgiving and celebration. And that sometimes, God, prayer can look like playing a video game and listen, listening to good music with our Heavenly Father. So that I pray for every single person in this room as well as myself, God, I pray that you would call us to true prayer. And Lord, my prayer may look different than everyone else's. It could be super weird, and that's okay, God. I know that, you, that you're good with that because you made us unique and you made us individual, God. And I know that my weird prayer brings joy to your heart and draws me closer to you. So I pray that you would help every single one of us discover how to walk in that continual prayer every single day, God, having a heart of communication that's open to you in every circumstance in every place that we go. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that you are our Father, and I thank you most of all, God, that I am yours. And that when we say yes to you, God, that we belong to you. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And together we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.